Hey there, and thanks for joining us at Alive Online. This is our Heart Matter series, where we'll discover how to handle matters of the heart and how Jesus' teachings transform us from the inside out. If you have any questions or things that you'd like to discuss regarding this series, you can reach out to us on any of our social media platforms or at info at alivewesleyan.com. We pray these teachings bless you and that they draw you even closer to the heart of God. Well, hey, good morning. Ah, man, sure hope you're doing well. Um, this has kind of been the, the heart series, and we uh, kind of left you hanging last week. Um, but what Jesus did last, uh, kind of last week is he brought people on the side of the hill, and he said some things that um, kind of got their attention. And one of the things he said was, what, it, what used to be impossible is actually now possible. And so that kind of got everybody's attention because that's a new thing. There's a new thing going on. And so the impossibility Jesus was talking about, what, what used to be not possible and is now possible, is the with God life. See, nobody understood what that was. Nobody even had ever experienced that before because it used to be you needed a priest or a temple or a synagogue or a sacrifice of somehow something to relate to God. And Jesus said, hey, no longer. We don't have to do that any longer. Now God can move inside of us. And what that means, just in case you've never heard that terminology before, is Jesus taught that every breath Every behavior, every thought, every action, every emotion, every hurdle, every celebration, every trial could now be experienced or ventured into, ready, with God. It wasn't something we did in isolation or something we did alone, but now we could actually do this with God. And so Jesus introduced to the world, God's now available to actually have a relationship with on a personal level. God's presence is possible in our life. And that's when he introduced this word to kaiosune, which is this Hebrew-Greek word sort of mesh thing that means righteousness. And he said righteousness is now available even for a, a person who messes things up like me. And it's now available, not because, Tom, you're great, but because I can now live inside of you. And so he started this discussion by looking at different areas of our lives where this would make a difference if righteousness was taking place and Jesus was living inside of us. And the first area he, he addressed was this area of anger. Here, here's what we studied last week. You have heard that it said long ago, or to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And everybody agrees with that. Even in our politically correct society, everybody can say, yeah, murder as a general rule is a bad thing. If not, we're not quite ready for you yet. But for most of us, we kind of would agree with this topic. There's nothing wrong. God's saying, I want to protect society. I want to protect people in society. And, and so we want to kind of value the sanctity of, of human life idea. And under the Old Testament laws, like church like many, 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 many years ago, the general idea was, as long as I haven't murdered anybody, I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. And, and that's, that's fantastic. The problem is this. It's the problem is our practical experience. We all know people that haven't murdered anybody, but they're still jerks. And so, like, if they murdered someone, you'd almost give them a pass. Oh, you killed someone? Okay, you can be a jerk. You know, you understand that, but we know people that haven't murdered anybody, but they're still a ding-dong. And so you kind of have some problems with that and think, they're not really righteous at all. There's plenty of people that way. 
So Jesus begins to get to the heart of the issue. Everybody's on the side of the hill. Amen, preacher, don't murder. That's a good thing. And then Jesus drops the bomb on him. He says this, I tell you, anyone who is angry, well, bang, there it is. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. And this got everybody's attention, hopefully like it just got all of our attention. Because <clears throat> when we're talking about murder, most of us are okay. We understand that. But now Jesus says anger, and we're like, man, I got angry this week at the person making the burrito for me. I mean, I got angry this week. And if anger's the new bar for what it means to be righteous... There could be some trouble up in here. There should be some trouble up in Christian world here in the South. And so I provided this definition for anger, and it's nothing formal. It's just kind of the way I interpret it. But anger is the natural response to me not getting what I want or me not getting my way. And the telling part of anger is when it builds to such a point in our lives that we begin to redefine people. We start referring to those people or other names who would give people, maybe names we probably shouldn't say in here. And we start seeing ourselves as this victim and our spouse maybe as a jerk. Well, he did or she did. And, or maybe we start seeing a family member as someone who does not understand or is out to rob us of our freedom. And so we put them in a box and depersonalize. We, we start to redefine the driver on the road or we start redefining the leader of the other political party or the leader of the other organization. And, and, and this is what happens even in church world. If I can redefine you differently than what God says about you, then I can do what I want, say what I want, and treat you as I want because you no longer matter. See, if I can forget you're a person then I can treat you as if you're not. This is what is meant by that term raka Jesus used. You no longer matter. Your ideas do not matter. I have written you off. Your existence does not matter, so I literally spit on you, just like the word sounds. I raka on you. And Jesus says, anything that hints at this idea toward another person is not the with God kind of life. So in his next words, Jesus, with the precision of a surgeon, begins to reveal anger in our hearts and how the with God life responds. Just to let you know, this could be dangerous to your health. <laughs> this is going to be a tough, tough path that Jesus takes us down. Here's what he says. When you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember your brother, sister, something is against you, leave. Now, I promise you, I'm getting ready to say something to you that a pastor has never said in any church before. I'll tell you when it's coming. See, a person gives to God for one of two reasons. You see if you agree with me. Either they have a generous heart or they give because they're religious. You may not even like what's going on, but I was raised to give, so I just, I give. So we give out of heart or we give out of obligation. Now, don't miss this. Jesus, <laughs> here comes the preach part. Jesus actually commands the listeners that day to stop giving 
if your heart isn't right. Do y'all need the buckets back? Because I mean, we could just kind of take some back. You know, it's like, preacher, you got me. Hand that bucket back. You know, I, I, <laughs> that's why we took the offering before. Um, so that, that's kind of <laughs> our finance team's in freakout mode right now. Move on, Tom. Don't tell people to stop giving. You know, terrible. Hey, guess what? Uh, December last year, last December last year, <laughs> 2019 December was actually uh, the biggest tithe and offering month in our lives' existence. That goes all the way back to 1893. So well done to you guys. Good job. Thank you so much for that. That's amazing. And. And God's using it all kinds of ways. We did Night to Shine, of course. We do um, the Loving Your School idea. So that's amazing. So thank you for that. Here's what Jesus is saying. <laughs> Suppose you go to church and you're in the practice of worshiping God. You've come there. You've sung the songs. You've got the free coffee. You know, you're feeling good. And let's suppose you're even offering something to God, like putting some money in the bucket or maybe doing some service or something like that. Jesus says, stop what you're doing. He's reaffirming what we learned last week. Just because you're keeping all the Ten Commandments and you look and smell and act like a Christian, that doesn't mean you're righteous. Those are not the same thing. You can come here Sunday after Sunday, serve in some capacity, join a small group, give a little bit, and slap a fish on your car. But your lives outside of here are horrible or terrible, and you're you're just not very pleasant. You know, you could, you could have that moment. You're not loving or more loving toward other people. You condemn others. You, you judge other people. And Jesus is saying, don't fool yourself. Life's too short, dude, or do that. You know, it's too short. Being religious doesn't make you righteous. Following the rules doesn't make you righteous. And this is why some of the grumpiest people you know are religious. Because sometimes the biggest jerks in society are Christians or religious people. And they're angry at everything in the world and everything in the church and all angry at flowers. I don't know. They get angry at everything. Jesus is saying if you're living the with God life and in a moment of worship like this, you realize you have rockhod somebody. That's not a word, I just made that up. Don't ignore it by piling a bunch of religious stuff on top of your error or your wrong. Jesus says, stop doing religious stuff because what is going on with them matters to your relationship with me. Jesus ties this correlation together that to be honest, out of all the things of pondering of faith, this one continues to come back as a challenge because he said this, I give you a new command, love one another as I have loved you, so also you should love one another. And most religious people think, well, God and I are good. If you don't like me, screw you. (laughs) And it's true. You may not have said it as boldly as I just did, but it's part of how you function. God and I are good. If you've got a problem with that, that's your problem. Hear me. I have searched high and low. The Bible knows nothing of that mentality. It's not in there. I've searched. I've looked for the loophole. You cannot find it. Jesus never allows us to separate our worship of him from our treatment and interaction with other people. 
Jesus doesn't allow that. A relationship doesn't allow that, but religion does. A little later in his life, same guy that wrote the Gospel of John here writes another letter to the church. This is toward the end of his life, and this is what he says. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. Question, liars about what? Loving God. Get that. You can lie about saying you're loving God. Apparently, you're lying about that. If you fool yourself into thinking you come to church and you worship and you act all religious and stuff, but you're hating on some people out there in your horizontal type relationships, the vertical ones straight, you're saying, the horizontals want, Jesus says you're lying about that. You cannot hate brother, sister, friend, or enemy and say you love God. That's a bold-faced lie. So don't expect your relationship with God to go well and for you to feel great in any church you go to. Expect the church to feed you and don't expect that to happen when you're at war with anybody (laughs) or everybody. And don't fool yourself into thinking you love God but you harbor hate in your heart towards someone or a group of people because you're lying to yourself. Here's what I'm trying to get at. I think this is the way I'd sum it up. Here, Here, see what you think. We appear before God always in the context of our relationships. Dang it. Come on now, isn't there a little bit of, I don't know if some of you will get this because you're old. Isn't there a little bit of John Wayne in all of us? (laughs) Isn't there a little bit of that in us? Like, man, I thought it was just me standing before God. Well, pilgrim. (laughs) I shouldn't have said that. That's funny. So... (laughs) If you're under 30, you're like, what's he talking about? I have no idea. You stand before God and you think, man, okay, when it's all said and done, God, you're going to evaluate this one life and see how I did. If I did good, I'm in. If I did bad, I'm out. That's good. What's going to be happening? I, I don't, I'm working at getting rid of that image. I think when I stand before God, Many of you stand there with me. And if I have wronged you and not sought forgiveness, that's a big deal to God. Because when you're in a relationship, we appear before God in the context of any relationship we have. So my relationship with God is only as strong as all my relationships. So as you sit here, if God has made it clear there's someone you've offended or you need to forgive, get up and go and take care of it according to the best understanding of Scripture. Pull out your phone and start texting them right now. Make the call. Don't, don't do that in here. But make the call if you need to. Or, and once you get that cared for, Jesus says, come back next week. And then and only then if you have something to offer God. Look at what, he gets even more direct. Matthew 5, 24, listen. Leave your gift there, which is important. You shouldn't take your offering back because it does say you're supposed to leave it there just to let you leave your gift there before the altar and then go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, then come back and offer the gift. Now, I gotta explain reconciled. So some of you are familiar with this. Back many, many eons ago, we had these things called checkbooks. 
And um, in the back of a checkbook was this thing called a register. I never saw one. Lisa won't let me near it. But the register, apparently the bank will send you some, some mail. And in the bank thing, it'll say, here's what we think you have spent. And you're supposed to reconcile what the bank says with what you said. And if there's a discrepancy, you're wrong. So that's basically what happens in this world of, of a bank. And now we do it all online. I understand. I understand. Same word. It's actually a financial term that Jesus is using. And what he's saying is this. Bring things to this state of police, of peace or shalom or agreement as God intends. Be reconciled a state of peace or shalom as God intends. Now, just kind of jump into the humanness of Jesus with me for a moment. See, I know Jesus is fully God and fully man, but I wonder if as he's teaching this on the side of the hill, in the back of his mind, I wonder if he's thinking about what he's doing. I wonder if he is aware that he is actually this living object lesson of the very message he's offering these people this day. You think, think about it. Jesus was in the presence of God, offering your gift at an altar. He's in the presence of God. He's living with him. I don't know what that looked like, but it was Jesus and God doing their thing together. He chooses to leave God's presence and come here, fully man, fully God, as a baby. Why? In order to provide a way for me and for you to be reconciled with God. And once that baby's done, he returns to the Father. He came so we'd have this opportunity to have shalom with God, peace with God. Now, Jesus is getting ready to give an illustration here of what he's saying. And this is a big deal because so far, the idea is if you're mad at me or I'm mad at you, we can have a cup of coffee and, and hopefully be friends, forgive each other. But now he's getting ready to take it into a whole new arena. Now he's going to speak to people that are accusing us. This is what he says, next verse. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court. One, I didn't know we were allowed to ride to court in the same car <laughs> with the person who's suing us, but apparently in Jesus' day that was a thing. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be thrown into prison. Try to handle this on your own, he's saying, with the other person. Keep in mind the whole context of what he's saying. When you know you've wronged someone, come to terms quickly. I've wronged you. I was wrong. Be fair. Have good intentions toward other people. Look out for each other. Be fair towards the people you've wronged. Why should I make it right? Because Jesus is saying something you know is true. The longer you wait, the less likely whatever it is is going to be settled. Fair? Now be clear. Jesus is not establishing a new rule here. He's not saying you never sue or get sued. That's not what he's saying. We've messed that teaching up for years. What he's saying is, he's offering an example of what a with God life looks like. And a with God life says if someone is accusing us or someone is wrongly or whatever, try to make it right. Try to have peace, reconcile. And... And I can hear pushback. In fact, 
You know, I sat in a lot of services too and heard a message like this. And I would bet a good many of us in the room at least are starting to jump, jump to things that have happened to us, things we're struggling to forgive someone for. Like, you know, that person treated me this way. That person did this to me. That person said this about me. This happened to me. I was treated in a poor way. Someone unloaded on me. I was victimized. I was abused. I was just driving my Subaru and Pastor Tom pulled up behind me. You know, whatever it is that you're wrestling with, are you telling me Jesus is demanding I forgive that person because I'm not sure I want to? And and Jesus gets that. He's going to come to a point in his life where he'll actually have to forgive some pretty significant stuff as well. Stuff like wrongful accusation and physical abuse and public shaming and abandonment and, oh yeah, he died. And he'll have to forgive that stuff. But let me call a time out right here because this is absolutely crucial in our journey of forgiveness. At this point, we aren't talking about our need to forgive what someone else has done to us. Do you understand? We're talking about asking someone to forgive us. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about what y'all did to cause me pain. We're not talking about when you all said this, when you all caused that problem, or when you sent that. We're not talking about that. At this point in the conversation, Jesus in his brilliance is asking us to focus on the people we have wronged. He's talking about us asking someone to forgive me. The question to ask is this, who do I need to ask to forgive me? Come on now, don't don't just kind of tune me out. Make a list. Maybe it's real clear, but because this is the this is kind of the graduate level learning here for Christ followers. Who do I need to ask to forgive me? Jesus is not trying to minimize the wrong that's been done to you. Don't misunderstand that. I don't think forgiveness is weakness. Jesus is just asking us to start in the right order. For those seeking to live the with God life, start by looking at what I have done, which is completely opposite of what we naturally do. You remember our definition of anger? Anger is the natural response to not getting my way or getting what I want. And if we are aware that we have caused pain to someone, then it will change the way we approach those who have caused pain to us. Does that make sense to you? And if we're aware of the pain we have caused, then we begin to rethink how we think about everything. What was not possible a short while ago is now possible. Years ago, I have to say it was years ago because you'll think less of me if it happened last year. But let's just say it was years ago. Lisa and I were down at the beach vacationing and we went to one of those stores that had a big shark mouth in front that sell like 10 beach towels for a dime. You know what I'm saying? Hermit crabs with painted shells, you get the idea. So anyway, we're there and um, Lisa uh, buys a bathing suit 
And um, we get back to the house, and Lisa decides, she hadn't put it on or anything, but she decides she doesn't want the bathing suit because that's her prerogative and what I have to deal with. And, um, <laughs> hey, this one's not recorded. <laughs> She's coming to the third one, so. <laughs> and so the thing still has the tags on it, still has the bag, all that kind of stuff. So we go back to this place where we bought it, and um, I stay in the car. She goes in and, um, to return it with the receipt and all that kind of stuff. And uh, a little bit later, she comes back, and she's still got the bag. Why you still got the bag? And she said, well, you know, they, they have a policy here that you can't return a bathing suit. Now, in hindsight, I'm very thankful for that policy. That makes good sense. Fair? In the moment, I was not that bright. And just the moment, I thought, the heck you say? And so I said, hand me the bag. And so I grabbed the bag, and then I went back into the shark tooth and went in there and had 10 beach tiles, and I guess it was hermit crabs, and I laid it on the counter to this individual behind the counter. I said, it's about ready to go down. And I said, uh, we have this thing. We purchased this thing. We want our money back for this thing. He points to a huge sign on the wall, like anybody can see it there, and he says, there's no return on bathing suits. And I went on to tell him how I'm a very influential person. <laughs> no, I didn't. I was like, you're kidding me, right? You're not going to return this bathing suit? We've got the tags on it. I said, well, you don't know if you wore it. We didn't, cross my heart. You know, I didn't tell him I was a pastor because that was going against what I was doing. And so, and so I basically, you know, said, just ripped him a new one. I did. I just ripped him a new one, grabbed the bag, and stormed out of there. Felt good. I had won. I go to the next store. We're over there. I'll tell you where we are. We're down in Calabash. Have you ever been to Calabash before? This store is now closed, so you can't go back and find this guy. And it's because I prayed locusts on him, and that's kind of why that, why that happened. <laughs> and I was, I was going down there at St. Nick's, if you've ever been down there. And, uh, man, God got a hold of me. Not in a good way either. It wasn't like, oh, there, there, son. It, it was like two-by-four time, you know. It was like, Tom, what in the world, dude? And, man, I felt Dirt, just heavier and heavier the longer I was there in the store. I tried to ignore it because that's what we do. And I tried to not listen. And man, he just got out. I said, man, Lord, I don't even want to do this. So I said to Lisa, I said, I'll be back. She thought I was quoting a great movie line. <laughs> I said, I'll be back. So I got in the car, drove back over there to that store, walked in. And man, the dude, he was like... <laughs> I stuck my hand over the counter, I laid it open, and I said, man, I just, I mistreated you, and that was wrong. That was wrong. Um, and I asked him to forgive me. Uh, I've had countless moments like that, more than you have time to hear, um, where I've had to do that. But here's why. The brutal honesty of the message for the morning for me is this. You, God, and me are three things that never operate or relate in isolation. Sometimes when I'm relating to you, I like to pretend like God's not part of the conversation. That's well, not true. It'd be easier, wouldn't it, if he wasn't? This is the brutal honesty. So let me ask, how does that look on you? 
I get this. Yeah, me and God are good. But what if they came? <laughs> I don't know. I probably just messed up all the pronouns, but you can follow along. So God and me. Okay, what if you came? That would be better. You know, what if the people that I had that dialogue with, that interaction with, even the people that I don't know their name, but there's another angle here that I think just merits a little bit of our attention. <clears throat> For some of us, the forgiveness we need to seek <clears throat> isn't because of something we've done to somebody, but it's actually something we haven't done. Some of us, we need to ask forgiveness for being passive. I saw this wrong taking place, and I didn't do squat. I knew this was wrong, and I didn't, I didn't stop it. Some of us need to ask forgiveness for being a peacekeeper in our home instead of a peacemaker in our home. I haven't served you well. I haven't fought for this relationship because, frankly, it's easier for me if I just don't fight at all. I've been passive. How about this one? Please tell me I'm not alone here. Anybody ever take all the stuff that happened at work, drive, and then unload it on your family at home? Man, I got stories on that one. I'm sorry, I was wrong. You all did nothing wrong. I unloaded. Why is this so hard? I mean, as you're sitting here in the room and we're having this conversation, I would bet you agree with most of what's being said, even what the things that Jesus said. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. So why do we sit here and wrestle with it? We convinced it's the right thing to do, but we're like, oh, I'm just not sure I'm going to do it. I wonder if it's because we're so familiar with anger in our lives. We've kind of got used to it. Years ago when we were wronged, we got angry, and now it's part of who we are. Now maybe we got power, so anger gets results, and we just got to power up over people, get angry. Anger lets me get my way, and we're afraid because we do not know who, who we are without anger. If I'm not angry, can I still lead? Can I still do this? Our spouse knows us as being filled with anger and rage and bitterness. Our children know us. Our closest friends know us. And Jesus is on the side of the hill and he says, I know a better way. And I won't eat you alive. Forgiveness has to do with you first seeking righteousness. It doesn't have to be complicated, people. Do whatever you know to do in a way that lines up with how Jesus would want you to do it. That's it. Now, if you allow me just two words for those who have asked forgiveness, I think we'll come back to it as we do the Sermon on the Mount, but we're probably not going to get to it in this series. But just two words for those who have asked forgiveness, but now they're struggling with forgiving someone who has done something wrong to you. I want to I offer you two promises. But these aren't necessarily two promises from like the Scripture, although I think I can find support there. These are two promises from the dark world of regret in Tom, okay? This would be a point I need a little affirmation. So I say, okay, Tom, this is going to be fine. Just stay with us. Um, I've had some of those things in my life to forgive as well. And so I wanted to share with you, not as a pastor, but more as a practitioner of forgiveness in some pretty dark places in my life. Just 
This is from the life and times of Tom. So here's my first promise. If you choose to forgive, your healing will start the moment you choose it. It will. I can't tell you what it looks like for you, for me. Man, all I can, it's like I had lost weight immediately and I was walking above the ground. Is that too weird for you? It was a freedom like I had never had before, truly. And the moment you choose to forgive, your healing will start. Just begin. It won't be, may not be full. Now, let me be clear. Forgiveness doesn't mean we pretend like it didn't happen. That's not forgiveness. That's stupid. Forgiveness doesn't mean there aren't consequences and, and, and things will go back to the way they were before you were wronged. Forgiveness removes condemnation, but sometimes the consequences hold on for a long time. And forgiveness certainly isn't a decision of mine to become more passive. Hear the strength part of forgiveness for me. Forgiveness for me is this choice. It's a choice to take control back from something that has wrongly taken ownership and residency in my life. I didn't like the dude I was becoming. And so forgiveness means the state of my life is no longer dependent on, waiting on, contingent on anyone or anything in my direction outside the person of Jesus Christ. i say this again because I don't know if anyone heard, got me that. Forgiveness means the the state of my life is no longer dependent on, waiting on, contingent on anyone or anything in my direction outside the person of Jesus Christ and moving toward a life not condemned by anger, your fault or someone else's fault, will never happen until you make this choice. It's your choice. It's your power. It's a choice to look, for Jesus, look to Jesus for what anger and contempt couldn't bring you. So here's, that's my first one. Your healing will start the moment you choose to forgive. Here's the second one that ties into the message. The moment you choose Jesus and forgiveness over anger and contempt... Something happens in your worship of God. I don't know what your experience in worship is like. For years, mine was I came and I did the right thing, but I rarely felt anything. Sometimes I would come and do the right thing for my family, but I didn't feel any connection. And so I kind of was going through the motions. And then I realized I was living out exactly what Jesus was saying on the Sermon on the Mount. Every time I came to worship and I tried to offer God something, I was holding something back. Do you follow? I was holding back my forgiveness. And so when I could forgive, for the first time in my life, I was able to come to God and truly worship. So you may head out of here and you... If you're wired like me, I hope you're not, but if you are, your response will be to try and do better. I'm going to try to forgive more. I'm going to not get angry all the time. I'm not going to speak about those people anymore. I'm not going to watch Fox News. I'm not going to watch CNN or whatever flavor we're being deceived by. I'm going to 
release that person from my anger who wronged me, who sent that email, who betrayed, who abandoned, whatever. You can follow your own path, but I just want you to know I've tried all of those things. And here's what I have learned. I've learned that my perspective is jacked up. And the perspective I'm seeking to live in now, the light I'm seeking to walk in now is this. This isn't about what I should do. This is about who I want to be. It's not about what I should do for my family. It's about who I want to be for my family. This isn't about what I should do for Lise. It's about who I want to be for Lise. It's not about what I should do for the church. It's about who I want to be for the church. You know who I want to be? Righteous. Like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And so that's kind of where I hang this whole anger discussion. Lord, do for me what I can't do for myself. And I'm still in class. Please don't think that I've graduated from this one. I haven't. But I want to be like Jesus. And I'm convinced his path is better than mine. So, Lord, uh, thank you for these good folks again. And, uh, man, what an honor it's been to have this conversation with them, Lord. Um, just feel so strongly that it's a conversation that, man, our whole community would benefit from. I know I got teachers in here and law enforcement and doctors and lawyers, people working, taking care of our homes, all of us, people raising families, husbands, wives, single folks, people living in dorms. And Lord, I just know that if just the couple thousand people who will gather out alive throughout the morning would truly take this teaching to heart, it would change our community. <laughs> it would change our community. It could transform homes, marriages, parent-child relationships, sweet mates, boardrooms. It would transform things. And so, Holy Spirit, again, we ask where we started, make our lives the upper room. Let our lives be a place where your righteousness lives and thrives. If there is a place, Lord, for all of us that we need to express and seek forgiveness. Lord, would you, in our mind's eye, almost create a slideshow that flashes across our mind right now? This person here, I need you to, I need you to make that right. This person here, this situation here. And Lord, as that slideshow plays out, I ask that you'd give us the courage to be able to act. Not necessarily agree. Not saying we don't have a problem to deal with. But just act and seek forgiveness. I ask you to do that good work in our hearts. We want to be righteous in your name. Amen.